Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Guys, welcome back to Believe in TCU Football with JD and Lauren Cottrell. Today we have a very special guest with us today, former Baylor and Tampa Bay Buccaneers center, Randy Grimes. Randy, we want to thank you so much for joining us today and, you know, taking time out of your day to, you know, kind of listen to us and answer a few questions. And so, you know, I I read up a little bit on you, you know, over the past week, and uh, I'd really love to just start off and, you know, hear your story and a little bit on your background. Well, okay. I'm a a Tyler Robert E. Lee graduate from uh, Tyler, Texas. Played at Baylor, uh, was drafted in the second round by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I met my wife the very first day, our freshman year at Baylor. We went out that night. We got married after my jun- after our junior years. Uh, she was going to teach and I was going to coach. We were going to live that all-American dream, you know. But I got drafted by the Bucs in the second round. I was the 45th player selected, the second center taken that year behind Dave Remington. And You know, the first thing I learned, uh, the guy next to me in my locker at the the Buccaneers was a a former All-Pro and a Hall of Famer named Leroy Selman. And he was really the first conversation that I had in the pros or the first real conversation from, uh, you know, somebody that I'd watched forever, you know, play the game on TV and, 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 and a legend in my mind. And, you know, the first thing I learned about, professional football is that it wasn't a game anymore, that it was now a job. And the second thing I learned was you do whatever you have to to stay out on the field, you know. And uh, so so for me, I was not going to be that guy who got a reputation of always being in, in the doctor's office or always missing practice or always on the injury report or always whining about this little knick-knacky injury or, or whatever. So – you know, that meant, for me, it was taking handfuls of pain pills every day and practicing through the through the, the, the little injuries and the and the and, and the different things that was going on and, and taking handfuls of sleeping pills at night, you know, to get to sleep through the throbbing pain. And, you know, I looked at it like a necessary evil. I wanted to be the best center that ever played the game. I wanted to feed my family. I wanted to play forever. Those are ways that I that I justified what I was calling a necessary evil, but in, in reality, it was a full-blown addiction. And, uh, you know, that kind of, that kind of took over my career, although I kept playing good, you know, uh, I mean, it, that necessary evil progressed to the point where the last two years of my career, I was playing the entire games in a blackout. You know, and I was the center. I was the quarterback of the offensive line. I was telling guys, you know, I was changing blocking assignments. I was getting guys going in the right direction. I was having to listen to the snap count. I was having to shotgun the ball back to the quarterback. I was having to do all that in an NFL game every Sunday, and I was doing it in a complete blackout. But that's the insanity of this disease, and that's what it progressed to. And, uh, uh, you know, I can also remember – the 10 years that I was in Tampa, I had five different head coaches. We were a revolving door of players, coaches, quarterbacks, front office people. You know, we never really got any real consistency going. 
But the last coach that I had, Sam Weish, I had five head coaches, six different offensive line coaches in 10 years. But the last coach I had was Sam Weish, and I remember him putting his hand on my shoulder and telling me that my services wouldn't be needed anymore in Tampa. And I can remember thinking, wow, that's how it ends. You know, all the blood, sweat, and tears that I've left on football fields all over this country since fourth grade. And and that's how it ends with a, a coach that has no loyalties to me. I have none to him. We probably don't really even like each other. We don't really know each other. We've only been together for a half a year. And, and I'd been hurt that year, so I knew I couldn't go anywhere else. And I just remember thinking, that's how it ends? And I just remember raking everything out of my locker into a black trash bag after the last game of the year and walking out the back door. And Randy Grimes, the football player, didn't exist anymore. And, and the reason that I tell that story is because I already had this raging addiction going. And now the fact that you've taken away my uniform and my playbook and my itinerary and everything, everything that was my identity – and, and I didn't transition well. You know, I struggled for a long time trying to figure out who I was when I wasn't Randy Grimes, the football player anymore. Yeah, I actually wanted to ask that because, you know, that's that's tough. And me, me and J.D. have talked about that multiple times, you know, even, you know, football players in general, just after, you know, the game is done for them, how they go about that transition and finding that next thing in life. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that transition? Well, and you think that you're prepared for it. You, you, you kind of mentally start preparing for it. You have kind of a plan in place, but until it really happens, you're never prepared for it. You know, I was going to go to work for my agent. We were going to, I was going to be able to stay in the game in some capacity by helping him uh, recruit players out of college, but that didn't work out. And, you know, and, and it's not just football players. I mean, you know, I work with a lot of veterans. I work, with a lot of uh, recently retired executives. I mean, we as Americans just don't transition well, whether it's a college graduate coming out of school and can't find a job or, uh, or, or a, a, a broken marriage. You know, we just don't transition very well. And, you know, we also are a, com- a country that, you know, our first instinct is to self-medicate that. So, you know, we go see a doctor or or we don't see a doctor. We just start doing it ourselves. But, you know, we start throwing prescription medication or whatever it takes at whatever numbs you up. So um, that's something that I talk a lot about with when I work with athletes. I work with the families, you know, is that transitional trauma of of losing that self-esteem, losing that identity, you know, that depression that comes with that, that isolation you know, that suffer in silence mentality, Uh, and especially us guys, because our fathers raised us like that, you know, where we suffer and big boys don't cry. You know, you pick yourself up, dust yourself off and get back in the huddle, that kind of mentality. And, you know, that's that's the message I'm trying to change today is that it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to not ask for help. Because there is help and hope and resources out there now. Yeah, most definitely. And I want to jump in on that a little bit, uh, Randy. Uh, I was fortunate enough to make it to the NFL as well. And you talked about that that process of getting that trash bag, right? It, it is it is it's almost comparable to uh, 
kind of watching yourself die because you this is what you've done for so long you know uh I got a chance to go through preseason camp and all that stuff with the Broncos and I can remember my teammate being there one day and being going the next and they you know refilling their locker with a new body with a new person and just watching that revolve and do it you said and uh I think it's super important I, I love the fact of what you're doing is trying to change that narrative of transition because it's really hard. It really is. Um, if you didn't put, you know, so much time, energy, effort and your life into the one thing that you find is your identity when it's taken away, it's 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 super hard. Um, I know I struggled with that for a long time. Um, and, and one of the things I wanted to ask you was, is, you know, what are some of the things that helped you kind of reestablish your identity or just refine yourself again after kind of transitioning out of that? Well, and the first thing I had to do that I didn't even know I had to do, and, and I learned this while I was in treatment, was I had to finally grieve the death of Randy Grimes, the football player. You know, sure, I had to reinvent myself and, and resurrect myself, but, you know, I had to grieve that death. And I didn't realize that I'd never, I didn't, I didn't even realize that that was a process, you know until I was taken through it. And, and, and man, it was, uh, it was just like grieving the death, you know, uh, any death. And, 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 uh, you know, I'm grateful that that happened. And, and, and we try to walk through that when I'm working with athletes today, you know, we try to, to, uh, to, to, to have that same kind of moment. And, but I think it's important to reinvent yourself. What are your interests? You know, what, what is it that you want to do? You know, and, and if you don't know what it, what that is, what's your passion? Because through your passion, you'll find your purpose. And those are the kind of things that we kind of like to, or what we try to do with, with the guys when they come through. For sure. And, uh, you know, something that, you know, I've kind of been interested about, and I'm sure the listeners would be interested about too, you know, you, you speak out, for pro athletes and addiction. And, uh, you know, if you guys want to check that out, it's called pro athletes and recovery.org. Um, but you know, for you personally, what, you know, what was that moment you, you speak about, you know, reaching out for help. What was that moment where it kind of clicked for you and you were like, you know, I, I need, I, I need help. I, I I'm done. You know, I was laying in the floor of a, of a vacant house with no utilities, no car in the driveway, no job, no money in the bank. And I can remember laying in the floor of that dark house and it had some carpet and I had a blanket and a little box TV. That's all I had there. And I can remember thinking, you know, I was a, I was a former all American. I was a, a, a second round draft pick. I married my cheerleader dream girl wife. You know, I had two great children. I was, uh, I was the 1988 NFL man of the year from the Buccaneers. You know, I, I, I was a, a pro bowler. And here I am laying in the floor of this vacant house with no utilities, no car, no money, no job, no friends, no hope. And I can remember having those thoughts laying there. And, and, and my daughter wouldn't let me come around my first grandson, you know, because I wasn't fit to be around him. I was having seizures. Uh, as a result of withdrawal from uh, the benzodiazepines. My wife, she didn't leave me, but she couldn't live with me anymore. So she moved in with her parents, you know, because she realized she was loving me to death and she couldn't just watch me continue to kill myself. So that was the perfect storm 
that finally made the death of my friend, Tom McHale, somebody that I played with in Tampa for many years. He was my right guard. He was out there doing the same thing I was doing. That was self-medicating his injuries he got while he played with the Bucks. And one morning he just didn't wake up. So that whole perfect storm was coming together in the summer of 2009. And that's when I finally put up my hand and asked for help. And, and back then, this is in 2009, there was no resources out there for former NFL players. So that was kind of the, the birth of athletes in recovery. I didn't know what I wanted to do with it or how I was going to do it. But I knew that there was a lot of guys out there just like me that were suffering in silence. And for whatever reason, pride, ego, guilt, shame, they weren't putting their hands up and asking for help. But once they heard my story, once they realized that they weren't alone, they weren't the only ones struggling like that, then they started putting up their hand and coming out of the woodwork. And we were able to help hundreds and hundreds of former players. And next thing I know, Major League Baseball got involved. And then and then NHL and NBA and then the Jockeys Guild and then former race car drivers and then former MMA fighters and golfers and tennis pros. And, it, you know, I found that everybody had the same issues. Yeah, everybody had chronic pain, but it was all something to do with transitioning out of their sport, not having that identity, not having that racket to pick up or that horse to get on or that car to drive. And uh, people struggled with that. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. That is that is an amazing story. I, I love the way you painted that picture of it being a perfect storm uh, for you to take the opportunity, uh, because I, I can say that there are opportunities for uh, and not just athletes. I mean, Americans in general to make that step, make that transition. Uh, but it's what you said. It's the, the pride, the ego, the, the the memories, the accomplishments, the the praise uh, that you got once before that that's no longer there that, uh, you know, kind of made you feel like somebody. And so I, I could imagine that it took, you know, a great deal of uh, uh, humility to really, really put your hand up and say, hey, I need help. I I, I got to figure this out. I can't continue like this. And so, you know, for for, you know, the listener that's tuning in because this happens every year. Right. You know, uh, I heard someone said recently that, you know, every year a guy gets drafted to replace another guy. And so that means that one guy's transitioning in, one guy's transitioning out. And for the guy that's transitioning out, whether he's, you know, a 10-year vet like yourself or whether he's um, just a, a preseason camp guy or whatever you may have it, you know, what, what would be some steps that you would give him to, you know, kind of start that process? Well, and I think it starts way back in college. You know, I think you're always preparing for your next level. And if you're fortunate enough to get there, then good for you. But you should always be preparing for the end because, as you know, as well as I do, uh, that, that could be the next play, you know, if you're lucky enough to have the next play. But, you know, I think now there's more opportunities out there. Uh, I think that there's uh, the NFL has come a long way with helping guys transition. I don't think they, they've mastered it by any means. But I think that they have programs now that are helping guys. They have job fairs. They have uh, uh, trainings in the offseason. If you can find something that you're interested in, they will help you get there. If they, if they won't do it, then the NFLPA, the Players Association, will. And I think there's just a lot more opportunities now for guys to get plugged in before they leave the game. You know, find their interest, find their passion, and uh, – 
you know, the main thing is, you know, don't just don't fall into that trap of self-medicating and thinking that numbing up and escaping life on life's terms, you know, that, that that's going to that's going to be your fix because, you know, it all it always turns out the same for everybody, you know, and um, that's certainly not a solution. And and, you know, thank God there's there's more non-narcotic ways to deal with chronic pain now and, and different techniques so uh, there's really no reason at all to go down that road. You know, Randy, I, I love that you've taken, you know, a story about, I guess, destruction, you could say, and turned it into something incredible. And I, I love that, you know, you're kind of the face of of helping out these guys, you know, transition from something that's been there their entire life and trying to find, you know, something new. And I saw that, you know, you had a book that was, what did it yeah. release this summer? No, uh, it's going to be a Super Bowl release. Oh, okay. This year, this year in L.A., it's going to be a release. Hey, and you know the beautiful thing about that, whether I sell a copy or not, I could care less, but my whole family had a, had a platform in it. You know, they, 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 they participated in it, and they were a part of it. And it was a, uh, it was a huge healing uh, thing for, for all of us in my family, you know, with my children and my wife and even my mom, you know, and my brother, and my sister, everybody had a little piece of it. And, uh, it was just, it was kind of a cool thing to, to, to watch everybody, you know, finally kind of, you know, really, really healing from it. That's amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? I know, I know it's called off center. Yeah, it's called off center. And, uh, basically it's my story being told parallel with a fictional intervention that's going on. So there's two, really two stories going on the whole book. And uh, I, I hope it's not real confusing, you know, to, to, to read, but it's uh, there's a lot of characters. There's uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of humor in it, but there's also a lot of real life stuff that, that, um, we go through in our addiction. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of dark places in that book about where that addiction took me and, and, and what I was willing to do to keep it going. So um, it was a healing book for me too to finally get out. So I'm real excited uh, about it. It's at final editing now and we're planning on a Super Bowl release of LA. That's amazing. I, I, I can't wait to order a copy myself um, because yeah, I, you'll definitely I just, have this, two, two copies sold. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you got you got mine already. Um, I, I, and I think, too, on the, on the flip side of that, I think that it's amazing that you're being transparent with that process and how it really looked, because, uh, as you know, like from a fan's perspective, it looks one way, you know, he oh he just no longer plays anymore. But from the other side of the table, it's like, no, these are real life thoughts and feelings and situations and actions that are being taken because you no longer have the identity. So I love the fact that you're like being transparent in that book and letting people see the dark side of it, because it is, it, it truly is a, a true det uh, detachment from, you know, what you love to do so much. Yeah. And, you know, I often wonder, you know, why did it, why did it happen to me? I, you know, I don't have any addiction in my family. I don't have any of the, of the, of the precursors for addiction or anything like that. But, you know, it's almost like, I, and I realize now that, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, first of all, I don't blame the NFL or blame the Buccaneers or anything. You know, I'm responsible for everything I put in my mouth. You know, I, they made it available for me. And, and that was just, uh, that was just the, the era that we played in, you know, 
narcotics were, were, were readily available in training rooms, but I'm still responsible for, for what I put in my mouth. And, and uh, I think God was preparing me for what I do now, because this, this is real life and death here. You know, I used to think when I was out on that field that football was life and death, but it's, it's a game. You know, it's a game and it, it's something that I allowed to become who I was instead of just something that I was good at. But I think God was preparing me to do what I do now, to get in the doors that I do, to get in front of the guys that I do, to, to get in front of the families that I'm able to because of being a former pro football player. And, you know, people ask me what I miss most about football. And, and, you know, it's not the game. It's not being out on that field in between those bleachers and under the lights. You know, it's not that. I miss the locker room. And that's what recovery has given me back is an opportunity to be with like-minded people who, who have cried with me and laughed with me and struggled with me and been to those dark places that I've been to. And, uh, you know, that's my new locker room now is, is my recovery. And I, I love that, you know, bringing up, I mean, just obviously God, you know, put you in this, in this situation. And, and, you know, a lot of people do like to focus on the fact of why me, why me? But I, I love that you get to take the positive out of it and, and see that, you know, you got to rebrand yourself almost. You have this new identity and, uh, you know, you talk about how narcotics were so readily available, you know, back in that era, back in the 80s, 90s. Uh, where do you see the future of this going almost? You know, are, are, the, are the narcotics less available now? Where would you see the future of this program and everything going? Uh, you know, I think through our, through our advocating over the last 12 years that the NFL is now, the, the NFL is now more accountable. Um, I know that uh, there's 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 certainly more protocols to have to go through before they, they there's no more off label prescribing like they used to do when we were there. Uh, team doctors cannot prescribe narcotics in in, in on away games in, in in different states. You know, only the state that there are they are uh, uh, certified in. So there's a lot of things that we were able to do, but. You know, I still deal with players, and and to some extent, it still goes on because, listen, players put pressure on themselves to get back out on that field, you know. Coaches put pressure on team trainers to get back out on that field, you know. Owners put pressure on team doctors to get that player back out on that field. So all that mentality is still there. And as long as that's there, guys are going to do whatever they have to to stay out there because, you know, if you're not out there in your position, somebody else is going to be, you know. And, you know, we have too much pride, too much ego. We've worked too hard to get to where we are to let somebody get in our spot because of an injury. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's amazing. I love the fact that you – you you said that it comes downhill, right? It goes from the coaches to the trainers, from the trainers to the players. And I think that's another really important piece that people need to understand is that it's not just, oh, this guy's just, you know, trying to push himself back on the field. No, it's a, it's a downhill effect on top of this being your job now, 
you said that earlier earlier in the in the beginning that this is no longer a game. This is how I feed my family. And for guys like yourself, guys who've been playing for a while, not only are you providing for your family, but there's other people that's around you that's tied to you that's also benefiting from the fact that you're really good at what you do and i think all of that stuff goes into that pressure of guys forcing themselves back onto the field time and time again and trying to prove that they're good enough to continue playing when in reality you know i think when you've made it to that level there's really nothing else to prove i, I think that if you if you're stand i got your position you're saying i got your position but like you said it's the downhill effect from the coaches to the trainers, to the to the to the players. I mean, even I would even go out to say even from the owners to the coaches, uh, because yeah. it's a business and that's an investment into that guy, and so they want to see that their investment is uh, uh producing in, in a sense. So, um, I love the fact that you did you know went ahead and said it. It, it rolls downhill. It's not just you know randomly happening. It's it really does come from the top down. Well, and we all want to be, even though we've made it to the pinnacle of our sport, you know, we still want to be the best we can. We want to be all pro, you know, we want to be pro bowlers. We want to, we want that next big fat contract. You know, we, we, we want all that. Once we get there, we're, we're still competitive and we never stop trying to be the best that we can be. And, uh, you know, then that's the added pressure that we put on ourselves once we get there. And if you're not out there on that field, you, you ain't getting there. I feel like there's so much added pressure, too, from fans. You know, I mean, I feel like a lot of times fans lose sight the fact that athletes are real people, too. You know, they they just sit there and they expect them to perform the way that they want to perform. But, you know, they don't they don't understand. They get injured, too. They have bad days, too. They, you know, go through things, too. So it, there, I feel like there's a lot of added pressure there as well. Yeah, there is. And, and, and that, that's where you got to have to kind of tune out social media and everything else that's going on. It's given fans a platform to pretty much speak. And, and you're talking about armchair quarterbacks, you know, guys that have never had on a jock who are trying to tell everybody how to how to play a position or how to run a game. So you, you give people a platform like that and they're, they're going to abuse it. But you just got to have to block it out. You got to do the best you can to just block it out. You know, I, I know that uh, I read an article not too long ago on Tom Brady. And, of course, he, he has social media. He has all this stuff, but he doesn't pay any attention to it. He doesn't even get on it during the season. You know, so he, he's got somebody that's probably doing tweets for him or making Instagram posts or whatever. But, you know, he's so laser focused on football in the next game that that's the kind of players that are out there today that are doing such a great job. Yeah, I, I think I've uh, I think the first time I noticed that was uh, when uh, they started kind of talking about how LeBron would do that in the NBA his season. And he would do this like zero dark 30 thing. And it would be uh, I think it was I think it's like towards the end of the season going into playoffs where he would just completely get off social media. And I was like, I wish I would have known that <laughs> um, to use that technique to get off because it is it, it social media can be a phenomenal place but as well as a very very dark place um because i mean i know i i don't know if you've seen seen multiple stories but you know when guys don't have great games now the fans have this platform to go and just blaster them and say whatever they feel to say and it's like like lauren said like we're still human like we i mean we are just as disappointed in ourselves as you guys are the fans and for them to have their platform to say whatever they want to say and comment whatever they want to comment 
that is that is some some undeniable pressure. I mean, I had a couple of teammates to actually just quit football because of that, because that pressure was so heavy, um, having to deal with fans and comments that were made. And uh, on top of, you know, coaches, you got to sit in the meetings and the coaches got to dissect the film and this, that and the third. And so uh, I, 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 I love the armchair quarterbacks, but at the same time, uh, it could definitely be harmful as well. Yeah, you're right. And thank God I didn't have to worry about that back when I played back in the 80s. You know, we just had to worry about somebody throwing a beer bottle or a, or a D-sized battery at you, you know, while you're sitting on the bench, especially driving into uh, the dog pound up in Cleveland. You know, you never knew what you were going to get hit with up there. True. I do want to ask you, I do want to ask you, where, what was the what was the loudest place you've played in the NFL? Loudest place. Wow. Uh, Crazy you know, fans, all of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, probably somewhere like uh, the Superdome, you know, or uh, back in the day, you know, with the um, – wow. Uh, yeah, I can remember some of those uh, Lion games up in Detroit being so loud in the Silverdome, you know. Those domes were just kind of built like that. And um, – but yeah, there was uh, some of those Chicago games, even though it was open air, there was a lot of people there, especially that 85 team, you know, when they were Super Bowl bound and doing their Super Bowl shuffle and all that stuff, you know, uh, that was a, that was a pretty, uh, that was a pretty uh, chaotic team and uh, stands then too. How about you? Where, where was your loudest place? Um, let's see. I would Rock probably stadium's pretty loud too. Oh yeah, yeah. The stadiums for sure. And so um I've kind of I've kind of had the opportunity to play at multiple teams. <laughs> I would say LSU, TCU, and then the Broncos. I'll probably say Death Valley is probably the loudest place I've ever played. Really? Um, really? With with everybody right on top of you. Um the student section is 25,000, 30,000 kids that's going crazy. Um, and I'll never forget my sophomore year. They had just built the uh, they they extended the 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 far side. I want to say it's the east side. Um, they extended it up, and so it went from ninety four thousand to one hundred and fourteen thousand. And so you're talking mm-hmm. another ten twenty thousand people, you know, yelling, screaming your name, you know, doing all the cheer stuff. So I'll definitely say Death Valley is probably the loudest place I've ever played. Did you have to go to a silent snap count? Oh yeah, thousand yeah. percent. <laughs> thousand percent for sure definitely the center will snap it whenever he's ready right right all oh, the good old days oh yeah nothing like it nothing like it i, I do want to i do want to <laughs> want to go back to the beginning of the story like so so love at first sight is a real thing love at first it, sight is it a real thing for me it was for you okay okay it, it's not across the board for everybody but for you yes it definitely <laughs> works no, it was for me. I don't think it was for her. I had to work on it for a while, but uh, I, I finally convinced her. But no, we did. We got married after our junior year, and I have no reason. I, I have no idea why, because neither one of us had anything. We had another year of football and, or another year of college. And, um, of course, I didn't know I was going to be drafted that high or if I was even going to make it in the NFL. But we, we took a chance, and uh, I knew I better get a ring on it because I didn't yeah. want to lose it, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I kind of want to ask, going back to, you know, your 
your transition story and, and recovery and everything like that. What, how, how was your family through it all? Because I feel like oftentimes, you know, in a lot of those stories, sadly, the family doesn't stick around. You know, how, how, how was your family through all of that? Well, I put them through hell, that's for sure. And, and they're the real heroes of my story. Um, you know, if you talk to any one of them and, and, and hear some of the things that I put them through and the fact that they're still here, you know, they're the real heroes. I can remember, I can remember sitting at a picnic table on the, in the middle of the rehab campus and I was sobbing uncontrollably, man. I just couldn't get a grip on this was back in, this was two weeks into my treatment and I went into treatment September 22nd of 2009. But I remember sitting at this picnic table and crying uncontrollably about two weeks into the process of, of rehab. And for some reason, I used to get up every morning and just write. And I don't know why I'm not a big writer, but it made me feel better to just write down what I was going through and what was going on around me. And I can remember thinking for the first time in 20 plus years, I'm having to deal with all the pain and destruction or this huge path of chaos that I left back in Houston with my family, with my friends, with my reputation, with my finances. Um and I was having to deal with that sober for the first time, you know, life on life's terms, you know. And uh, that was kind of like, it was like, like all, when all that was going on and I couldn't get a grip on myself, it was like somebody came up behind me and, and, and like draped a warm quilt on my shoulders. And I, I'll never forget it. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was on a Wednesday morning at 845 in the morning. I'll never forget it. Two weeks in. And it was like they put a quilt on my shoulders. And I, were, and, I, and I say a quilt because I remember feeling weight and warmth on my shoulders. But also had this, this, this unbelievable, overwhelming sense of confidence that not only could I do this, but that I had to make it mean something. I had everything that I'd put everybody through back in Houston. I had to make it mean something. And that right there, uh, that Wednesday morning at 845, that was kind of the birth of this nonprofit, Athletes in Recovery. Like I said, I didn't know what I was going to do with it or how I was going to use it, but I knew that I had to do something with, I had to make all of this mean something. And um, that was kind of, that was kind of my burning bush spiritual awakening to uh recovery or right there at that picnic table that morning Man, that's powerful that is powerful that is that is powerful that you had that moment uh because like you said like, like we said earlier you know there's there's opportunities for us to transition and begin to start that process but i, I feel like in that story i i feel like i guess in that moment is when you like finally let go you finally <laughs> surrendered yeah you surrendered that's to exactly it. right yeah surrender to it and just all that weight just kind of fell off you and that's that's beautiful man because there there is that moment you know uh i'm i mean i'm i think i'm far better now uh in the transition process doing the things that i'm doing uh but i i can i can also agree with you that there was that moment where you just like whew, okay all right let's move forward let's make this mean something and and i wanted to ask you you know what became 
your why as you transition into speaking and now you're an author and now you're like helping these families and helping all these people like what was that thing that kept you going outside of your story I'm saying what is that thing that was like okay I'm I got my confidence this morning I'm moving I'm working I'm I'm making these things happen man you know my why is just I have buried so many people in the last 12 years you know ever ever since I've gotten clean and sober there's so many of us that don't make it, you know, and, and that's my why. It's the 92,000 people that overdosed last year just as a result of opiates, you know, where, and I'm not even talking about the 88,000 that, uh, that died of prescription-related medication uh, overdoses or the hundreds of thousands of people that pass away as a result of alcohol abuse. Uh, my why is is those guys that are struggling with traumatic brain injury and CTE, uh, mental illness as a result, you know, um, having mental health issues. That's my why. There's, um, and it's not just athletes. This is everybody, you know, that's my why is um, what's my part in it and what can I do to make the world a better place? How can I help this pandemic within a pandemic, you know, because, this thing is, we're not going to arrest our way out of it. We're not going to legislate our way out of it. But I do feel like we can educate our way out of it. And, and the more that guys like me open, my, open our mouths and put our hands up and, and share our stories, then the easier it's going to be for that somebody to raise their hand and ask for help, you know, because this disease happens to anybody. And, um, and, and, and it's, it's okay to not be okay, you know, but you have to ask for help. I'm, I'm honestly just, I just have to say, I, I'm in awe of how, you know, transparent you are with everything because I, you know, there's, there's some people who, you know, will stand up and speak out, but I love how transparent you are with your story and everything that you've gone through and, you know, the stories that you're able to share and, uh, you know, you are making a difference and uh, your, your story is going to go you know, be told forever because, you know, you, you have made a difference. So, you know, thank you, obviously. Well, I hope so, because believe it or not, this is the kind of stuff that keeps me sober every day. You know, they say you got to give it away to keep it. So um, this helps me more than it helps anybody else. Well, I'm glad I, I really am. And, you know, Randy, we want to thank you so much for joining us today and answering all of our questions. Uh, your story is very so inspirational and again i just want to thank you for sharing it and you know taking something you know negative and turning it into something incredible a message to a message hey listen thanks for having me and have me back sometime okay let's talk Absolutely. about let's talk about something more uplifting oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. Most definitely most definitely <laughs> we got to get you back also like, like the baylor bears let's talk about them hey 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 before you go we just gotta say go frogs <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, it's only right it's only right i just knew, i just knew we were going to be having frog legs on saturday but it just <laughs> didn't work out did it? uh we got we got we got appetizers with bear first we we, we got hungry with bear first so mm -hmm. it's all right <laughs> y'all did y'all definitely outplayed us <laughs> all right well thanks randy and uh we hope you have a wonderful day you too thanks for the opportunity thank you bye-bye bye All right. You want to go ahead and get into the game? Let's do it. Let's All do right, it. All right, guys, we got an upset alert.
Upset alert. Upset, upset alert. alert. TCU defeated the number 12 Baylor Bears 30-28 to on Saturday. Yes, indeed. What a game. Man. What a game. I'm, I'm still stunned. I'm shocked. <laughs> you know we went into the game and we were like, our preview, yeah. we were like, well, you know. <laughs> yeah. We'll yeah. see, but we'll wow. They they outdid themselves. I, I, I really have to say. You know, and I just have to go ahead and start off Chandler Morris. MVP. Done. Man, done. I, MVP. That's my first note. MVP. Game <laughs> MVP. MVP. Done. <laughs> done. done. So next, move on. No, yeah. I <laughs> – you know, we've talked about so many times on this show how mm. Lincoln Riley is a quarterback machine. Yeah. You know, and, and the fact that, like, he – not not even that he really did much with Chandler Morris because he – obviously he wasn't really at OU. I think he was there yeah. for, like, what, a yeah. year, and he yeah. didn't even do anything. But kind of, yeah. He, yeah, yeah. But the yeah. faith that he had in him, you know, yeah. shows that the, yeah. the guy had to have some sort of talent, and he did. He he showed his stuff in this game. I saw some, some cool stats, actually. Yeah. He's the first TCU quarterback to pass for 400 yards since Kenny wow. Hill, his now coach – Yes. In 2016. And Chandler Morris is one of just two quarterbacks to surpass 300 passing yards against Baylor this season. So. Wow. MVP. <laughs> MVP. Golly. MVP. Uh, Give him the name. Man, Chandler, dude. I, I mean, gosh, like I haven't I haven't watched a more exciting like freshman this year. Um playing a quarterback position um it, the the I mean besides the talent right I mean we we know he has the talent he came from from the quarterback whisperer Lincoln Riley himself like he has the talent but the moxie the the demeanor the the communication like the the swag the style like it's like it all came together at the right time you know what I mean um you know on top of all the news we dealt with last week and coach P and this that and the third like I, it's like a, it's almost like a Cinderella story almost. Um, and I mean, we still got, a, you know, football to play, a lot of football left to play, but I mean, geez, like this kid is, 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 is he was poised, very, very confident. And like I said, just the, the moxie to play that position and to, and to lead your team in a situation as, as, as it was, it's, it's not like Baylor was bad. Like, you know, it's, they, they were clearly seven and one before they saw us. Yeah. Uh, but for him to step up to the plate, take that opportunity and to show the world what he could do. That's amazing. That's amazing in itself. I mean, local kid from Allen. So I know Allen is like probably still partying right now. Uh, Allen, Texas is. And so like, you know, just to seize that moment, man, was was very, 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 very like encouraging to see. No, for sure. And the leadership he showed, I think yeah. it's almost like he was kind of the missing puzzle piece that we needed, you know, this whole time. And, you know, obviously there was a lot of energy going into the game, just playing Baylor and stuff like that. Right. But no, he he definitely showed up. He got himself out of some, you know, sticky situations. I think he was really good at that. He, yeah. he you know, there were there were multiple times that, you know, he. They were their defense was going in for the sack and he got himself out of it multiple times. So no, definitely hats off to him. Played a great game and uh led us to victory. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, very Houdini like, you know. Oh, yeah. In and out, in and out. Um very I do Houdini-like. also want to say as well, like I I think I mean hats off to Coach Meacham as well. Um that is that's the Doug Meacham that we 
are no used in love. to. <laughs> yeah, you know that that's the guy we used to. Like, yeah, I'm um, looking at the stats. He, you know, Chandler was 29 for 41. I mean, 40 pass attempts. Like, we're throwing it. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? We're throwing it. Um, and not to say that we couldn't rush it. I mean, we had 35 carries as a team, but like we're putting the ball in the air if we got 400 yards passing like you know every other player is a pass and I think that is the I think honestly that's TCU's true offensive identity let's let it ride like yes it helps us to have uh, a Zach Evans you know it definitely helps us we're 1000 percent but I think that we are more dangerous as an offense and more potent as an offense when the ball is in the air uh, Quinn Johnson had a phenomenal game another phenomenal game I mean 142 receiving that one-handed uh, catch, guards. though. Yeah. Like, oh, crazy. Come on, man. Like, you're in the zone. You're in the zone. Like, I don't know how many listeners we got, how many guys that's listening to play football, but when you catch a one-handed ball in the game, like, it's kind of like Randy was saying. You almost kind of, like, black out, and you're, like, in this zone uh, that nobody can, like, really, really get you out of. So, uh, I, like I said, phenomenal day across the board for TCU's offense, but that's the Doug Meacham that we absolutely love. Put it in the air. Let it fly, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I love seeing that, too, because we've been talking about all season how predictable we are as an offense. And, you know, we had Zach Evans out. We had Kendry Miller out early on in the game. Um, so we were down to one running back. And, uh, yeah, I think it definitely made us, you know, unpredictable. And it was better because, you know, Baylor was really on our really on our running uh, this game in the in the beginning. So actually the whole time I and mean, we, we didn't have that many rushing yards. So, uh, yeah, I, I loved I love the connections between Chandler and, and the receivers and. Yeah, that definitely definitely helped us see that victory. You know, a lot of the questions that I got from Twitter and Instagram were, what's next for Max Duggan? Will he Ooh. see the field again? And should he be scared about his job? Um, that is really, that's a really, really good question because mm -hmm. I was going to mention this earlier. Uh, we were talking about Lincoln Riley. Uh, I want to say, I, this is not confirmed, but I did see an article that's talking about Spencer Rattler leaving OU. Uh, and not to say that would be the case for Max, not to say that would be the case, uh, but that is the, I don't want to say danger in having a transfer portal, uh, but it kind of is, you know? Um, and, you know, it's hard. It's a tough situation, right? Because, you know, you have your guy that's been there for, you know, two, three years and he clearly demands or or he's in he's in control of that position, obviously. Uh, but then when you open up opportunity to a Chandler Morris who steps up to the plate and who answers the bell. You, you know, as a coach, you kind of in limbo, like, like, which way do I go? Do I, you know, do I try to play them both? And I mean, we've obviously seen that situation as well, try to do the two quarterback thing, but I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what, what's next for Max. I mean, I, I, I hope, I hope he stays. I hope he finishes out his career where he started it. Uh, but, you know, again, with the whole transfer portal thing, like I, I, you know, I understand it if, if, you know, that becomes in consideration for him. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of on the same path. You know, I, I, I do have to say, you know, I personally, I hope that we would uh, hopefully start out Chandler Morris, you know, at least in the next game, see, you know, cause you never know with the momentum, with the energy, if it's just a one game type of thing, but no, the, I mean, the kid, the kid has the talent, you know, and they're both great guys, both great, both very talented, but uh, yeah, I would definitely love to see Chandler Morris start against Oklahoma state next weekend. 
Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Let's let's go. Let's let's put it in the air again. Let's yeah. go two for two. <laughs> yeah. I saw something the other day too that was uh <laughs> makes sense why Lincoln Riley was holding on to him so much in the offseason. <laughs> we get it now. <laughs> yeah, we got it. We got it. You can't have him back, Lincoln. We got him now. <laughs> it was a secret little weapon. Yeah, of course it was. Of course it was. But we appreciate you, Lincoln, for you know, prep prepping yeah. us one and, and, and gifting it to us. Appreciate it. Thanks for that one. <laughs> I want to I want to go ahead and talk about the defense because, you know, our guys on offense, you know, even if they don't connect, you know, on a day, I feel like on paper we have, you know, a really talented offense and we have a talented defense, too. But they've definitely, you know, had their ups and downs this season. And this game, they just connected. They did everything they needed to yeah. do, you know, and even though the game was close, you know, they they kept us in the lead the majority of the game which, you know, was great. I, we, we had the lead going into half and, you know, everything and that huge, that huge game-winning pick at the end. So definitely hats off to the defense as well. They they showed up, they did what they needed to do, and that's, you know, that's how you win ball games. Yeah, um, I, I think that uh, I, was, I, I wasn't, I'm not, I'm still not sure on who was calling defense to plays on, on Saturday, uh, but I, I believe just from, just from, what I saw uh, during the game is that I think we kind of stuck to um, I think that's the trash truck outside, I think. Um, <laughs> but I think we kind of okay. my dog is growling in the background. So. Oh, it's OK, perfect. Um, I think that um, I think we kind of stuck to the basics, if that makes sense, uh, because we know Coach P. Coach P is a he's a play caller on defense, meaning he tries to match plays with plays. And I think that when you don't have that that common denominator in, in, in the equation, now it's okay, all right, well, let's just play our base defense. Let's do what we you know do well. Let's stick to the basics, the simple things. And everybody do their job and everybody, you know, stays on point. And I think the defense did an excellent job of that on Saturday. Everybody's sticking to their 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 assignment and doing their 111. And um it definitely helps when you got your offense like chunking the ball and scoring like energy is feeding off each other offense feeds off defense defense feeds off offense so uh when you when your whole team is in sync like that you're hard to beat you know you're hard to beat um I think we did a great job of containing their quarterback uh Bohannon and and you know their stud guys on offense and again I think it's hats off to whoever was calling the defensive plays on Saturday like phenomenal job of sticking to the basics and you know putting guys in position to win yeah, for sure. And I, I watched the press conference with a uh, uh, interim coach, head, head coach, Jerry Kill. And, you know, he was kind of saying that the guys have been through a really tough week, you know, like yeah. even things that we don't know about. And, you know, he was just really proud that they were all able to uh, show up. And, you know, I know they were out there playing for Coach P. They all said it. Uh, so yeah. I, I think th I think that was really cool. It was it was a great game to, you know, kind of hats off to Coach P. This one's for you, guy, or you, for you, dude. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah, you, you could definitely see the fight, the spirit, mm -hmm. and, and just the intent that was behind, you know, how that game was played. And um, I got to give, like, a, 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 a special shout-out to Shaw Banks, who had the, the game – winning interception uh freshman too freshman crazy freshman uh funny story earlier this year like doing fall camp i went and visited kenny we sitting down we just talking just doing what we normally do and uh he comes in and he's sitting in the chair uh shot is and uh, kenny's just telling me about the kid he's a freshman you know this that and the third and, da, 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 da. and um you know i, I 
after that conversation, I really didn't think much of it. Right. Um, and then before that play happened, I was outside. I ran to my car real quick and then I came right back in. And it was right as it was happening. Interception, boom. He 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 makes the interception. He runs to the sideline, jumps on the bench, takes his helmet off. I'm like, that's the kid. That's the that's the that's the kid right there. So I had this whole like moment. Um, and then I don't know if you saw the clip that TCU football posted, but he did like a backflip um in the middle of the field. Like it was like right after the game had ended, he like ran to the middle of the field, did a backflip, and like the whole team was behind him. And, but that's oh, the that's personality. Awesome. Yeah, man. That's his personality. That's his energy. So, like, I'm I'm super proud of that kid uh, for the way he played and showing up big in that moment, man. Oh, that was huge. I mean, you know, I didn't work this game. It was, uh, you know, my last game that I got to go kind of sit in the student section, you know, do the yeah. fan thing. So uh, I was I was in the student section in the stands watching it when it happened. And, you know, it was a nail biter. All all Baylor needed was was that one. Uh, all they needed was a field goal. And they they adjust. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they had just passed field goal range. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was definitely a nail biter. They still had a minute left, a whole lot of game left to play. And that was a huge game changer on him. So that was that was awesome yeah. to be a freshman. And I, I loved the energy. That's that's incredible. Shout out to all the freshmen, man, balling this week. Shout out to oh, all, the yeah. all the freshmen balling. For sure, for sure. I love it. You know, I want to I kind of want to go on to something a little bit uh funnier, I guess you could say now that we won. I don't think it would be as funny <laughs> if we didn't win, but those refs, okay. man. <laughs> <laughs> I I kept oh, saying man. Baylor's not our enemy today. The refs are our enemy. Yeah, man. We <laughs> I, I I think we're just good at just getting like some of the Worst refs. <sighs> toughest. To nice. The toughest. Okay. We'll go okay. with toughest. Yeah. We'll go with toughest refs. I mean, and not to say You're the well spoken one here. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got it today. You got it today. <laughs> um I mean, not to say that their jobs are easy at all. Um, you know, my, my dad is a referee and you know, I, I hear stories about calls that they make all the time. And so not that their jobs are easy, but I do think that um sometimes those calls aren't thought all the way through, uh, you know, because I mean, quite honestly, they're making a judgment based off what they see. Right. And, you know, not to knock any referee, but they are older. Sometimes, sometimes <laughs> you see things that you don't, that's not necessarily there. You, hey know? Now. <laughs> <laughs> you said you were going to be nice. I mean, not, I am kind of a little bit, but I, but still like yeah. sometimes some of those flags, y'all don't really see that stuff, right? I mean, yeah, it may look like it, but from another angle, it's totally different. So, I mean, you know, not like I said, not to bash the referees, but I think we just are really good at getting some very, very tough guys. I think so. Well, and it happens in like an instant, too. So I'm like, how do you see that half the time? No, I mean, even, you know, we got a targeting call uh, on defense and thankfully they overturned it. But yeah, there's just there was some there were some snap judgments there and we finished the game with 19 penalties overall. Which, <laughs> how, like, I'm still trying to figure out how we manage. Is that a record? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, it's gotta be. It's gotta be. I mean, to because even the commentators were talking about it on TV. They was like, "Wait, TCU has over a hundred yards in penalties, and mm-hmm. they're still winning the game. Like, something doesn't quite add up here." No. Um, and it's like, I mean, but we won, so yeah. it doesn't really matter. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? that's what I'm saying. It yeah. would have been a different conversation if we didn't win. Yeah. But uh yeah, but it's yeah, okay. Yeah. We won. 
<laughs> it works. It works. We won. But yeah, overall, it was a good game. And, you know, I, I've been saying we play like this here on out. You know, we've been talking about how strong the back half of our schedule is. You know, we got Iowa mm -hmm. State coming up. Oh, OSU this upcoming weekend. Yeah. Um, you know, we who are number 10 now. Um, so, yeah, we got a strong back half of our season. Um, notice how I didn't name the other team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the – um... He who shall not be named, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, cool. I really think, you know, we've been saying all season, it's it's the reps, and I'm, and I'm hoping, you know, that we kind of we kind of mesh together. We, we got that puzzle, you know, built, and if we play like this here on out, we might actually be bowl game eligible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, two away. Yeah. Two away. Two. two away. All we got to do is go two for three right here, two for mm -hmm. three. And, and I and I definitely think we I think we we most definitely have the guys to do it. Uh, the opportunity is coming. The opportunity to do it is coming. And, um, you know, like we said before, like they just got to be on one accord again, you know, just like this past weekend. And mm -hmm. and, you know, again, hats off to Chandler Morris. And sometimes it takes some fresh bodies in the game to kind of you know, change up some things, make some things different. Um, I, I got to, you know, give a shout out to one of the commentators of the game. He said, you know, for defense, you know, when you don't have film on that guy to prepare for that week and he goes into the ball game, you're kind of lost. You really don't know what he's capable of, what he can do. And, you know, sometimes the, the, the good teams, they make the adjustment at halftime and, you know, they know they figure out how to slow the guy down. But, you know, uh, I can only imagine what Oklahoma State now has to do to prepare for both Max and Chandler because it's still up in the air about who's going to play, who's going to start, whatever. So, I mean, I, I think we got the advantage going in this week of having two guys that can get it done. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see uh, this upcoming week, but two away, just two, just two away, and we'll be bowl eligible. Well, and I think that kind of goes off to the uh... – you know, predictability thing also. I think, yeah. you know, after this week, we showed we can run. You know, we got yep. Zach Evans, Kendra Miller, and even Mercado. You know, he he, mm -hmm. he he plays well as well. And, you know, we're unpredictable too. We, we got Quentin Johnston. We got Darius Davis. We got Tay Barber. You know, you never know where that yeah. ball's going to go. So, yeah, uh, yeah I think I, I, t I definitely agree with that. I never I never really thought about that, but you're so right. Yeah, yeah. So Oklahoma State got to figure some out because yeah, we, they do. We got some momentum right now, so absolutely. Hopefully, we keep going. I again in the press conference with uh with Coach Kill, he was saying that uh, you know, it was Saturday right immediately after the game, and he was like, "We celebrated. We got another ball game next week. Like we got to go." Yeah. <laughs> Twenty four <laughs> like, hour rule. It's time. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I guess you know we'll be back in a few days to uh, preview TCU versus OSU. The Horned Frogs are going to be heading to Stillwater next Saturday to take on the Oklahoma State Cowboys, who are now number 10 uh, in the nation. Kickoff is set for 7 p.m., I believe. So we got a night game going on at an, away, at an away team or at an away stadium. So, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we want to thank you guys for joining us and giving us your questions this week. And uh, we'll see you on Friday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.